Don't think that you're a horrible elk caller if you go into the Winnaha unit in Oregon and you call on every bull that answers you turns and books and books and goes the other direction because it's not you. You know, my son took second in Worlds and Bo spent five days with me in the Winnaha a couple of years ago and we only called like one bull in. So hmm. they're just tough, they're just in condition. So, you know, trying to find those spots that are away from people where the bulls haven't been pounded makes a huge difference. Patience is a big deal in early season. So if you're going early and that's all you got, which I love early, the first to the 15th is honestly one of the very best times to kill a giant bull. But I would say for the giant bulls, I like them a little more from the 7th to the 15th. That's when those bulls will, you know, start kicking away from the other bulls. They start trolling those ridges. You'll start, you get on a ridge and you'll be walking down a road down the middle of the top of the spine and you'll start seeing those trolling bull tracks. And that is a real, real good, they're real vulnerable at that time because they don't have cows yet. A few sweet cow calls and they'll be in your lap. A lot of guys will hunt, hunt an area for two years and then they'll leave. You know, it takes a few years to learn a spot, learn an area, what those elk are doing. But for timing, I would say just do what seems to be really turning that bull on and then stick with it. Bulls have a comfort zone. So you start calling at him, he'll come off a knob and anybody that's heard a podcast for me on elk, this is a big deal and I talk about it all the time. They will come only so far away from their cows and that's their comfort zone and they'll go back. When you see a bull do that, take note of how close he gets to that stump or that tree or whatever it is, and then let him go back to his cows. Just shut up and let him go back. Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt, and if you look at their Insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider you get the explorer as well so we have both packages but explorer is is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting you know it's got the public and private land boundaries offline maps 3d point tracker and all the western states are included it's a it's a great tool so you get that plus with the insider you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry-leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy-to-read state regulation overviews, and species profiles, and expert insights, and all this exclusive content, plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to, spend that $149 let me tell you it's really worth it but we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package you not only get a free subscription to go hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howl for Wildlife member. And that includes 
our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners, you are automatically included in the Halifa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Halifa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time. And it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we are going to speak with Casey Brooks. We're going to talk about elk hunting. Casey is one of the one of the few people that has done um, a super slam with a bow, and he's killed a pile of elk, and a pile of them are over four hundred. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. So what's going on, Casey? How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Stuffing 10 gallons of shit in a five-gallon hat, but I'm good. <laughs> it's hay season here right now, and you want to talk about having too much on your plate. That's exactly where we're at right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy how things pile up, and it's just like they all come at the same time. It wouldn't be so bad if things were kind of like spaced out a little bit more, but yeah, so... <laughs> Mother Nature controls us here, so when it's time to cut hay, it's time to cut hay, and yeah, we've got hay, we've got hay over the place, and we're just real busy right now. But the good news is, is everybody is drawing tags right now. Everybody's getting excited, and uh, if I could release a little bit of information, you know, help be successful this year, let's get her done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, real quick before we get to these uh, questions, just give me a quick rundown about who you are, and just in case people don't know who you are. I've been bow hunting. I'm 57. I've been bow hunting since I was 15 years old. I went on my first bow hunt at 15 and I got bit by the bug and, and I just haven't turned back. I've hunted typically, you know, in, in, in the days now I'll hunt, you know, two to four different, you know, states. I'll shoot two to four different bulls a year. And, uh, I just love hunting elk. Elk really bit me at a young age and, and I've, and I've just stuck with it. Yeah. So, you know. And you're in the place I, for it. You're in the Pacific Northwest. The the tags have always been very liberal out there. I hate using mm -hmm. that word, but <laughs> have right. been very uh, easy to obtain <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've been I've been there a couple of times, and you and I spoke. I I, I got uh, I've gotten skunked a couple of times now on Rosie's, so I gotta I gotta scratch that itch. Uh, so. Uh, Absolutely. Well, Roosevelt's are difficult. You got to love poison oak, uh, rain, yep. thick brush. I mean, they're tough. They're and, not easy. And rain and more rain and some more, and more rain. rain. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like every time I've gone there, I've literally been 
sopping wet from the second I've gotten there to the time I leave. I haven't had really good luck, unfortunately, but with the weather. It's coming, man. It's coming. Just keep after it. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, my last trip there, we were there for three days and I popped a hole in the oil oil pan. So I had to cancel the hunt. It was... uh, it was just one of those things, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let that stop you. Yeah, I, I could. It was a rental truck, and it was going to take them like three days to get me another vehicle. So I was just like, let's just go home. <laughs> well, you know, the oil was already oil was already drained out of the truck. Just pop the pan, run down to Harbor Freight, buy a cheap welder. Yeah. Pack it up and go back to work. Yeah. I, I thought about that. Actually, I was thinking about just going to grab some JB Weld and doing it and just. That a boy. Yeah. Now you're talking. But whatever it takes to stay in the wood. <laughs> if I'd have known you, I would have simply found you and got you a different vehicle. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I got some questions that kind of have been compiling, waiting okay. for the right person to, to ask. And, uh, okay. You know, most of the guys I talk to about elk hunting, it's, you know, it's about calling technique and so on and so forth. And I know you do things differently. I've kind of followed you a little bit here over the years and I've heard John on Jay's podcast before too. And so I'm going to start it. This is kind of a broad question, but what are some of the key elements to being an effective elk caller? Well, I mean, if I was going to start with anything, the, the very obvious is location. You know, if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of elk or, you know, sometimes if you're in those spots like the Roosevelt's calling, sometimes is a little more difficult than, than if you're in a great spot with a lot of Rocky Mountain elk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So obviously location can make a, a big difference. Now, not just where there's a lot of elk and where there's, you know, not as many elk, the elk are getting more and more conditioned. The elk, the, the call, the calls are getting better and better. Mm-hmm. The buglers are, you know, the guys that are bugling now go to the competition. They're getting better and better than they were in the eighties, nineties. And I think the elk are starting to get smart to it. So it's not as easy as it used to be. It's still extremely effective, especially if you're on the right goal. But I mean, there's places in Oregon where you could go there for two weeks and only call in a handful of bulls. And that's just not the way it should be. They'll answer, but they go the other direction. So right, yeah. location, location can be a big thing. And don't think that you're a horrible elk caller if you go into the Winnehaw unit in Oregon and you call on every bull that answers you turns and hooks and books and goes the other direction because it's not you. You know, my son took second in Worlds and Bo spent five days with me in the Winnehaw a couple of years ago. And we only called like one bull. And so... Hmm. They're just tough. They've just been conditioned. So, you know, trying to find those spots that are away from people where the bulls haven't been pounded makes a huge difference. Yeah, I agree. I noticed that big time here in Arizona, you know, like 10, yeah, a little over 10 years ago, I'd say, you know, the Hoochie Mama had been out for a while and it got, it used to be a absolute destroyer out here would call an elk like crazy with a hoochie mama and and then just out of nowhere now you squeeze that thing and they go running like yeah so yeah yeah, i i i noticed that that you know like 10 years ago or something that there's they're definitely get conditioned to a certain type of sound and that is so that sound is so very consistent because it's a push call right it's not going to vary 
very much from from call to call. No, nope. and and uh, so yeah, that, I guess that added even more. You know, at least guys who are say, calling or have a have a little variance in their voice and and sound. So, but for sure, and I will say, if you find a bull in this day and age, that if you squeeze a hoochie mama off and he screams, and if you squeeze it again and he's he's on his way, you're gonna you're in luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you got a, if you got a bull that'll rip on a hoochie mama in this day and age, you're probably in one of those spots where the bulls haven't been trashed. So, right. I'm not saying hoochie mama's a bad call. I'm just saying that they're they've been really conditioned to it. Yeah. Uh, the, the super nice thing about a mouth diaphragm is you get some variation. Exactly. Uh, and that's what I prefer. But I, I gotta say, I had a bull. I'm looking at a bull that scores 395 on the wall right now. I'm looking at him. That bull. I was laying down some of the most beautiful cow calls with a, a diaphragm ever. And the bull would answer me once in a while. Mm. Colin, my buddy, he gets out of Hoochie Mama and just starts squeezing it. Mm. And he was going, meh, 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 <laughs> And that bull was just going, Wah! he was just out of his mind. I think he was just saying, shut that broken record off. I don't know. <laughs> but, I, you know, lucky for me, as prideful as I am, I said, well, I think I'll quit calling here. Mm-hmm. This is Colin. You keep you keep pushing that little button right there, and I'm going to slide in on this bull. Yeah. And I got between you know him and the bull, and ended up killing the bull that was called in with the hoochie mama. That's the only one I've ever called in with the hoochie mama. That you know my buddy called it in as it walked by me. I smoked it. I think he has a. <laughs> I think he's got a. I thought it was a 400 bull when I shot it, but he's got a four inch second point. Mm. So, you know, offset predicate bulls typically will be short in the front and then they'll have a really long point after that to make up for it. And that's the way it was. He's a great bull. He's beautiful. And I'll give my buddy credit. <laughs> Hoochie Mama worked great that time. You know? that's, the, that's the one you were showing me the other day that's mounted sideways? Uh, yes. Yeah. He's okay. doing a 90 yeah, that's up a on the wall Sweet there. looking bull. Yeah. yeah. You bet. You bet. You know, realism that gets to, you know, realism, location. Mm-hmm. Patience, realism, it's, it never hurts to sound as close to an elk as you possibly can. But in all honesty, I've heard some really horrible elk callers call bulls in and you think, oh, bull's never going to answer that. You scream. So you don't have to be a competition caller to call elk in. It's just do the best you can to get as close to you can to sound like an elk. And, And it doesn't hurt, especially in public land applications. Right. Right. So I think that that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, the elk call that I use is a very difficult call to blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the diaphragms, I, I use power call diaphragms. And then the, the bull the bull call I use, I would say 80% of the hunters can't even use it. And it's called the Deep Timber Sounds out of Oregon, out of the Grand Oregon. It. Yeah. And it's you got to cut your own reed. It's an external reed. And it's unbelievable if you know how to blow it. But it's very difficult to learn. And I, I, I just, you know, years ago, I was a voice caller when I was young mm-hmm. and, and it was working very well until I trashed my voice. And then Dan Clore from Deep Timber Sounds handed me an elk call at a sportsman show. And he, and he says, try this. And I kept trying it and trying it. And one day I hit that note and I says, oh, wait a minute. I figured something out here. And that call has been with me ever since. If you ever look at any pictures, uh, I mean, with my elk, if that calls laying there, it is trashed. <laughs> I've been carrying it. I don't know how I managed to not lose it over all these years, but I've still got it. Kind of more of a meat call than it is a competition call. Um, I would say if I went to the foundation and called with it, the judges may or may not like it as much as 
uh, the guys with the diaphragms. You know what I mean? Right. But in the end, if, if you want to call elk and you want to kill elk, that is a damn good call if you can figure it out. And it's probably because it's so like so. I, I figured out something. Well, I don't want to give away. This is like the one the one uh, tip or trick or whatever I say that I have mm-hmm. that I don't usually share. But so mm-hmm. I had this one call that I've I've been using and. It's not that it's not a specific call. It's just a sound that I make, a sound that I do. Yes. Uh, and the only uh-huh. person that's ever seen me do it, other than my family, is um, is uh, Paul Modell. And uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just because it's so other people aren't doing it, and they're so different yes. from from the norm that um, it gets bulls fired up, and it, you know, kind of lends to what you're saying what you were saying before, you know, it's, it's a trigger sound. It's just something that, you know, you find that one noise that those bulls just, and you know, if you can, if you can find that in any bull that you're calling in, if you figure out what it is that that bull likes, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, like, just like that bull that I'm looking at right now on the wall, that 395 bull, he didn't care for my diaphragm. Right. Maybe he would have, maybe he would have later in the day, but, he just, he was just kind of going off on it. And if I tightened up on him, he may have came in, but I mean, why not go with what works? <laughs> and, and it was, it was the hoochie mama that day. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know about your country. I, I can tell you I've only hunted, well, I've hunted Arizona quite a bit actually. So mm-hmm. I guess I do kind of know about your country. Uh, a lot of the elk hunts that I used to hunt, <clears throat> I'd start on September 1st and go to the 15th. And then state state land hunts were more like what around thirteenth on something like that twelve. Yeah, usually it's that <laughs> second week of a lot of times it's like September eleventh or September fourteenth right. to the fourteenth somewhere in between there. Yeah, sure. So for the guys that are going on a hunt that opens early like Oregon does or Idaho September first August twenty sixth, patience is a huge thing. You get up into a canyon, you know that there's bulls there. You're seeing some fresh rubs. You know, the bull's been rubbing their velvet off, and you know the elk are there. You know, do light bull calls, real light. Don't sound like this competition, you know, screaming, chattering, Yellowstone elk. Uh, you want to kind of give some whistly type bugles and sit down in one spot with some cow calls. Sound like a herd. Mix it up. You know, cow cast sounds. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just wait and listen for a twig to pop. Listen for them to start rubbing their horns. A lot of times the bulls in Oregon early in the season, I take my wife and we go hunting early and my wife, she'll about shoot anything. So it's fun. (laughs) And we sit there for quite a while early season because bulls may or may not answer, but a lot of times they'll come in and they don't just come in one at a time. Sometimes they're bachelored up and three or four bulls will show up. Oh, that's cool. So patience is a big deal in early season. So if you're going early and that's all you got, which I love early. The first to the 15th is honestly one of the very best times to kill a giant bull. But I would say for the giant bulls, I like them a little more from the seventh to the 15th. That's when those bulls will, you know, start kicking away from the other bulls. They start trolling those ridges. You'll start, you get on a ridge and you'll be walking down a road down the middle of the top of the spine and you'll start seeing those trolling bull tracks. Mm-hmm. And that is a real, real good, they're real vulnerable at that time because they don't have cows yet. A few sweet cow calls and they'll be in your lap. 
Yeah. Um, and I don't see it to be overly necessary to, to scream at them or anything. Those bulls that are early like that, a lot of times, little cow calling, small bull, that's all it takes, and he'll be in your lap. So patience. Yep. Something I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're gonna bow, if you're gonna bow hunt very much for anything, you better get some, huh? Uh, I, you know what? I've been telling my, I, I've been, I've been hunting since I'm five years old, so I've been hunting for about 41 years now. And uh-huh. uh, I've been bow hunting since I was 13, I think, was my first uh-huh. real bow hunt. And yeah, you know, there's times that I could be patient, but for the most part, I'm I'm kind of like a pedal to the metal kind of guy. And sometimes it works. <laughs> sometimes it works in my favor. You know, I would yeah. say a lot of times it works in my favor, but I think if I was more patient or at least could recognize that it's time for me to be patient, my success rate would go even higher, but for sure. And, and, you know, you told me yesterday not to start on black tail deer, but you told me yesterday, black tails are tough. Mm -hmm. That's one of those places where that patience is really going to kick in for you. You know, the slower you go, it seems like the better you are with those, those dang things. They live in a, they, they live in spots where they're brushed up a lot of times and man, just patience is everything. Yeah. So, but with this elk thing, it's more of a sit down in one spot and just wait for them to come to you. Just, don't, I'm not saying just walk along and cow call. I'm saying sit down, cow call, some, some little weenie bugles, nothing real big. And then maybe even rake a tree a little here and there, but, but really open your ears up and listen for, for bulls coming. Cause a lot of times they come in silent early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that, you're like a situational caller and that you feel yes. time, timing is the most important. What are uh-huh. I know it's kind of hard to paint this picture on a podcast, but let, let's maybe run through some situations or some scenarios where like, what are the key elements to reading that situation and giving the bull what he needs to hear at that time? Timing, like you say, is everything. doesn't matter if you're calling ducks, turkeys, elk, whatever it is, timing is honestly more important to me than actually honestly than realism. I mean, realism helps, but timing, understanding the signs that the bull or the turkey or the, or the duck is giving you, that's super important. So if you're hunting Roosevelt elk or, in, or Rockies, whatever you want, say you're in Idaho hunting Rockies, it's kind of a lot like hunting Roosevelt, it's brushy country. Mm-hmm. You pull up on a landing where they've been logging, uh, pull up a little bit short, you walk up there, you get up on that, that stump or whatever, and you cow call and that bull just rips. You just give him a few minutes, you know, you cow call again. He just, he stands on you and you can tell that he's getting closer. Stick with it. Everything, you know, if, if that's working, that's working. If you get up there and cow call and he doesn't say a word and then you give it a little while and then you throw out a small bugle and the bull likes it and eats it up and the bull starts getting closer and closer and you can close the gap on him. Just go with the timing, give him a little bit of a break, but you want to keep that bull animated. You want him wound up. You don't want to let him fall off and walk away. You want to kind of keep him going. In my mind, a lot of guys would would say, you know, turkey calling or elk calling with me, they think I'm a little aggressive, Mm -hmm. but I do that for a reason. I'm just trying to keep that bull wound up. I want to see that bull get ticked off and kind of lose his mind a little bit. So I just throw little variations of different things at him, figure out what it is exactly that I like. And then I stand on him as much as I can to where I think that I'm not overcalling. 
and hopefully I get away with it, you know, and that's, that's something that's developed over, you know, years and years and years. I, I don't, I don't, it's second nature to me to know when I need to call and when I don't, because in Oregon, when I first started hunting, when I was, when I was young, I would hunt 150 head of elk every single day. And I'd hunt them for 20 days until I killed the bull out of that herd. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the case anymore. I could go to that same 150 head and shoot the herd bull in two days. Gotcha. You know, granted, I've been hunting that same country for this will be my 40th year in that same spot. So I know what the elk are going to do before they do. And that's a big deal as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys will hunt, hunt an area for two years and then they'll leave. You know, it takes a few years to learn a spot, learn an area, what those elk are doing. But for timing, I would say just do what seems to be really turning that bull on and then stick with it. And then a big deal with me is, is when that bull's coming in, shutting it off about the last place that I think that he's going to see me. So if I think that we got junipers out in front of me and sagebrush or, or we got pines and about the last time I think that that bull's going to pop out, mm-hmm. I'll give him a little something like a cow call or something or a little couple of cow calls and he'll scream at me and that lines him out with, you know, where he needs to go. But once I see him, I'm not going to call anymore. I'll let him look for me. I'll have, by the time that's happened, I've already picked out my shoot lane. I'm directing the calls, the direction I want the bull to go. And hopefully he plays the game. You know, they don't always play the game. No. I can throw my, point my call to the left and try and drag him to the left upwind and he'll turn right and just try and win me every time. You know I mean? And I'm, then all of a sudden I've got a alternate shoot lane that I'm looking at and, and uh, you'll have to shoot him before he gets to your win. When, um, you know, obviously you got to work with whatever you come across in the, in the woods, but when mm-hmm. you're trying to pick a spot, you know, you're, you're working your way into a bull and you get to yep. whatever effective range you think you need to get to, whether that's hundred yards, 150 yards or less than that, depending yeah. if it's thicker, uh-huh. are you looking for a specific, like a specific setup when you're, when you're going towards a you know, bull, like I know for me, like if I get to, let's say, I know he's within 120 yards or I think he's within 120 yards of me and I come across yep. something that looks great. Do you just stop yep. there or do you keep on trying to get closer? Well, if the bull is one of those, if he doesn't have cows and he sounds like he's tightening up on me, mm-hmm. I'll sit down because he's coming anyway. Let's let him come to me instead of walking across the meadow or walking around something that he might pick us. Right. Um, you know, I'll sit down and just wait a, a little bit. And then if he doesn't come in, then it turns into a different game. Bulls have a comfort zone. Okay. And if they got a bunch of cows and, and I'm used in, I'm very used in Oregon to hunting huge herds of elk, you know, hundred head. And it's, it's no different if he has 10, but in big, big bunches, these bulls will lay down, you know, their cows, they'll, they'll bed their cows down and, They'll all lay down there and he'll walk around that herd and scream his behind off for a while. He'll lay down. Bulls have a comfort zone. So you start calling at him, he'll come off a knob. And anybody that's heard a podcast for me on elk, this is a big deal. And I talk about it all the time. They will come only so far away from their cows and that's their comfort zone. And they'll go back. When you see a bull do that, take note of how close he gets to that stump or that tree or whatever it is. And then let him go back to his cows. Just shut up and let him go back. You're not going to call him away from his cows at that point. Likely, he's came out, he said his piece, and he's going back to his girl to check on him. And then what you want to do is slide in as close to that spot 
because he will come back to that spot again, very likely. Gotcha. So, you know, you tighten up to that, you know, getting within 25, 30 yards, 40 yards, of that stump, whatever you're comfortable with, and then start ripping on him again. A couple things are happening here. One is you just got tight on his herd and he's not going to like that. A lot of times I cow call my way into a big herd like that and get him ripping. And I don't, I don't bugle with those bulls like that a whole lot. But when I get in real tight and he's being stubborn and I want him to come back out to that comfort zone, a lot of times I'll hit him with, a, you know, kind of a, not a gnarly big old giant bull, but, a you know, kind of a medium type bull with some real pretty grunts mm-hmm. and, and then throw a couple cow calls in there. And, and more often than not, see, he hasn't heard that bugle yet. Here he comes. So that yeah. comfort zone, if you can get in there and bust his bubble, that can make a big difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've noticed that. Or 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 he's gonna run the other direction. Like true, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you he know, might, he might not want to fight. He might be like, no. oh, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> he can round up these cows and kill. Yeah, no. And, and, and what that and to me, what that's like is you're in the bar, uh-huh. and some a holes on the other side of the bar are yelling at you or whatever. I'm gonna kick your butt or whatever. Yeah, fine, buddy, whatever. But when he gets up and gets real tight to you. That, he's he's giving you a choice. At that point, you're going to have to fight. Or you're going to have to turn and run. Okay. Right. Yep. So you know, and that's that's what you're giving that bull. He's got to make a choice. And a lot of times they'll blow out, but a lot of you know, a lot of times they'll come in too. You just it's it's a chance you take. And if he does if he does go, you know, you need to start over and figure out what it's going to take to get him killed and and, and just and do it all over again. Yeah. A few years ago in Oregon, we had this bull. I nicknamed him Pussy because we two days in a row, we were on him from like morning till night pretty much. <laughs> and we'd get to about 100 yards and, you know, challenge him or whatever. And he would rip off and he would just start, you know, bugling. And you can hear him displaying and rubbing trees. And, yeah. you know, so you'd try to I, – I mean – I can't tell you how many times we were, if it wasn't as thick as it was, we were close enough, but eventually oh, yeah. you'd get to a certain distance and whatever that was, 60 yards, he would just round his cows up and he would go about two, 300 yards and bugle at sure. you and keep bugling at you. <laughs> so you get close yeah. again and you try to, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was insanity that like I, in my head, I, and I was, you know, I was following the people who were hunting with me, and I, you know, I don't consider myself uh, an expert in Roosevelt elk or, or elk, really. And to be honest with you, sure. you know, I guide for them, and I have had quite uh-huh. a bit of experience, but I don't, I don't call myself an expert. So, you know, uh-huh. I was following their lead, and you know, at, at one point, I started like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing the same thing over and over again because. We're not getting the same. We're not getting the right result. <laughs> yeah. We're not getting the right result mm-hmm. here. But um, sure. But yeah, I, he, it was just that same situation. Like I knew he wasn't busting us. He wasn't afraid that we were humans. He just we got yeah. to a certain point, and he's just like, uh, "Yeah, buddy, you're you're close enough. I'm going to take my girls." And and he wouldn't go that far. He would really only go like a few hundred yards. So we just exactly you know give him a half an hour, catch back up with him, and then you know. <laughs> start the game over again <laughs> well but. at that point i think what i would do at that point i'd be tired of that game and what i would do is just say uh i'm going to stay back here and call and keep him lit up right you slide in there and pop slide in there and pop him yeah uh or another thing you can do is just not say anything and get as tight to that bull as you think that you possibly can 
and then start ripping a tree up, just tearing a tree up. Right. Don't say anything with the alcohol. Just get in there and start tearing things up. And sometimes they'll go out of their mind for just a few twigs breaking. And, you know, I don't know what it is about that, but raking a tree can be a big deal for elk sometimes. Well, I mean, and I, I don't, you know, claim to know the what they're thinking, but from so, what I understand that the most of the time the raking or we'll call it displaying or whatever is mm-hmm. – is him showing off for the ladies. So that bull knows that if he's doing that, he must be doing it for a cow that's close enough to him. And I think that's kind of what, you know, could be triggers them off. It's just like you going in there and doing, you know, I don't know, bull calling cows bugle or something like that, where, uh you know, you're not, you're not speaking to him at that point. You're, you're talking to his girlfriends. Uh I think, I think it's that kind of situation. I don't know that or maybe they just don't associate humans with (laughs) with beating up trees i don't know but sure sure yeah and and there's it's not something you're gonna you're not typically typically gonna have a guy go up on a landing and start raking a tree to to locate right Right. Mm -hmm. so that they don't hear it all the time from humans yeah you know they never hear it of course the more we talk about this on on the podcasts they the more, the more they're going to hear it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's all situational. You just never know. Right. And, and putting it all together can be a really difficult thing. And, you know, I've had a lot of experiences with, with elk, you know, lucky, you know, hunting as much as I have for elk. Mm-hmm. And I am still learning. And I think that the difference between the guys that are real successful at anything mm-hmm. in bow hunting or rifle hunting or anything those are the guys that learn from their mistakes. And if you do something that turns the herd and well, maybe I better not try that again. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, or like in your case, what you're doing with those Roosevelt's, there's nothing wrong with, with crowding him. You may crowd him like you were and he may decide to come, but boy, there's, there's things that I've done before. And it's, well, I'm not going to ever do that again. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out there, so well. That. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, bottom line, as much as I've done this, I hunt, I bow hunt five to six months out of the year. I am still making mistakes and uh, still learning from them. Yeah. So, but I think know, that's what that's, keeps, that's what keeps us doing this, right? I mean, that, that's the beauty of it. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it would it would get old if you knew everything in the book and you know you just simply went out there and it was piece of cake and it was over and you were gone. You know, it's just nice to have your ass handed to you once in a while. Mm-hmm. It humbles you and, and it makes you a better hunter if you learn from your mistakes. Absolutely. So yeah. I have a couple of questions about sounds and locating. And mm-hmm. let me ask you this. Do you, when you go out in the field, do you, you have like a plan of action that you're going to like, not necessarily like regimented or anything like that, but do you like, this is what I do when I first start the morning. This is like, you know, do you have that kind of system or is it just like, Hey, whatever day (laughs) you just go do, do what you think is right for the day. Well, I I mean, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm 57 and my, my legs are going and my hips are going. I mean, my, my legs pretty well beat it. My body's pretty well beat up. I've been, I've, I've killed 13 sheep with a bow. So how many hunts have I been on? You know? Yeah. So a lot of mountain time. I've trashed my body. 
And I got to tell you, I'm not a health nut. I love Dairy Queen. So, uh, so I'm, I'm just, just to say it, you know, I have a comfortable camp. I get a good night's sleep. A lot of guys are like, you know, Jay Scott's like, Casey, where you're hunting, you need to be out there at about two in the morning and find that meatball. And you need, I've been there and done that. You know, I, I, I've done that on public land in Oregon and Starkey unit and all that stuff. We go out all night and locate bulls, mark them on a GPS. And the next day we're on a bull before anybody is, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of getting lazier and getting older. And, and for me, I just get up about four o'clock in the morning or something, start running out through the country when I'm and, and if it's country, I know, I know where to stop and then, you know, work my way up to a landing real quietly and, and then cow call out there and then listen for the bulls and, and figure the one that sounds the hottest and, and I'll just wait for daylight and then go after him. Um, so you're typically starting off your location with cow calls and yes. And it's a, it's a very unique cow call. It's nothing like any of these elk I've ever heard. Deep timber sounds elk call makes an unbelievably loud cow call. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you can't do it. What I do with that, you, with that elk call, you can't do it with a diaphragm. You, uh, you don't have it with you, do you? I don't. Okay. No, uh-uh. Well, that's why I'm sitting here. I was just sitting. I was just sitting here wondering where I put it. Uh, like I said, I've, I've had that thing around my neck for, for you know 25 years or something. The same one has lasted thinking, that long. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I was awesome. wondering where the I was wondering where the hell that thing is. I was just looking around the house. You said so deep, I will be deep timber sounds. Deep timber sounds. Mm-hmm. And if you call Dan Clore. He makes two different style mouthpieces. He's going to hate me for this. Mm. Tell him that you want both style mouthpieces and he will sell you both style mouthpieces. You may like the new one. I prefer the old one with the bigger diaphragm. Uh, it's a bigger surface and the angle is the angle that I've got used to through the years. But my call, I think the bulls that I've been hunting through the years, it's pretty, pretty simple for a bull to hear that cow call oh, with ease a mile away, you know, mm. half, three quarters of a mile away. It's loud and it's very effective. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just listen and way out there, you'll hear those bulls go off on it. And then a lot of times, uh, as I get closer in on that bull, then I flip over to a diaphragm for my cow calls and tone it down a little bit. And sometimes I'll throw that, throw the deep timber and I can, I could tone the deep timber way down as well. And I have, if anybody ever watches the video of me in the San Carlos elk hunt, mm-hmm. uh, San Carlos, the second, second hunt I was in, or let me see, is it second video? I was in the second video. I shot a 386 six point and that bull wouldn't go off on a diaphragm. That was all he wanted to listen to. I mean, maybe he did, but in the beginning he wanted that deep timber sounds. I picked up on the fact that he loved the sound of that cow call and that's what he wanted to stick with. And, you know, he comes into 20 yards and I pound him. And certainly that's not the bull I was looking for. 386 for where I was hunting mm-hmm. is not, they, that's not why I was there, but it was getting late in the hunt and it was a nice bull and he worked real well. And yeah, man, I'm a bow hunter. I like shooting. I don't care if they're five right, points. I right. love, I love, I love hunting elk. So yeah, I got sidetracked. Where were we? Uh, I don't know. I got sidetracked and then I started looking for your video here. Yeah. The only one I found was the one where you shot the 450 in the San Carlos, didn't you? I shot a 452 gross bull there. Yeah, yeah. It's The San Carlos one is in 
it's in the second San Carlos elk video. They actually, I think Chapel might have been Chapel might have done the first one. Maybe he did the second one as well. But they sent a they sent a cameraman with me for one day, gotcha. and uh, yeah, and we got a couple bulls coming in, and and uh, that bull was the one that made the grade for the day. Hell but yeah. that's an example, possibly an example of what that deep timber sounds can sound like for a cow call. I, it's been a long time since I've listened to that. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to find that, and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll put it in the show notes here. Uh, if I can find that elk call and I can get some diaphragms, what I need to do is I need to do a little tutorial on the deep timber sounds elk call, how to cut the diaphragms, and then how to make the different sounds with it. And I think people, you know, it would give them a, an idea of what it takes to make that call run, but you still have to be patient with it. It's it's not a super simple call to work. Take some doing. Yeah, I've seen them. I've never tried to blow on them before, so. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because I remember they have the Dominator, right? The bugle, that their their bugle tube. Larry D. Jones was yeah. that what Larry Jones's call was? Was his call the Dominator? I think the- so, right? But that that's 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 the one I remember from Deep Timber was. I can't remember. Shoot, man, I get halfway to my barn and I can't remember why I'm going out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting horrible. Oh Jesus. <laughs> People ask me questions about things in the past, and they say, "Remember that big mule deer we saw right here?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, 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 sure, I do." Yeah, in my mind, I'm going, uh, "No, I mean that was ten thousand mule deer ago. I can't remember a mule deer here." Right, right. You know, and then and then the stupidest deer will stick in my mind forever. A forked horn that I came around a corner, he's standing in the road or whatever. You know, yeah, he'll stick with me. But the one seventy buck that the guy's talking about. I, I, you know, I just totally forget about it. I don't know what's going on with me. Yeah. It happens to all of us. It happens to me daily, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you're, you're pretty young for that. Yeah, I know. So am I. Yeah. So are you, I was going to say, you're only 10 years older than me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so if you could kind of like walk me through a scenario, you, you've left camp, you're out in the woods, just kind of walk me through a scenario. You get a bull fired up. What's your next step? What are your, you know, obviously, you know, the situation is going to dictate it, how you're going to handle it, but just kind of try to yep. walk me through a, a situation. Well, maybe. I'll, I'll just start by saying I typically don't walk from camp. That's for sure. I usually jump in my truck, kind of a road warrior. I like to pound country. I like to cover lots of country. Mm-hmm. And and I use the truck as a tool to get me way around in all these different you know places in the unit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, typically what I'll do is find a bull or I'll know where there's a bunch of bulls. If I come up short, park, and then walk in, it depends on the situation. It depends on the terrain. But I'll get as tight as I can get to where I think I'm not bumping them or bothering them. Shut it down. I drive a... Uh, F-350 diesel, mm-hmm. but it's a quiet, it's pretty quiet, you know, and I don't put loud pipes on them or anything. I just drive a factory truck. So it's kind of quiet, but I slide into those little spots, park, and then get out and listen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the bulls before daylight are already going. I don't have to say much. And what I'll do is close the gap on them before I start calling. If I'm locating, I'll leave the truck and I'll get up on a knob that separates me from these elk and then start cow calling figure out where the bulls are at because they, they're going to rip very likely. They're going to rip. Now, if they're Roosevelt's, you can't count on the fact that they're going to go off. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're the Roosevelt's, you know, 
they're not silent by any means. They can, I mean, you've done it enough. They can rip, can't they? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to, if they're in the mood, they're going to go good. But, you know, that's the one thing guys that are hunting Roosevelt's got to understand for the first time or whatever. Just be patient with them. They'll go eventually, or they may not, but but they're there and they hear you. So, you know, just stick with it and just act like a herd. But I, uh, I typically will just kind of slide in. If I get an answer, I'll close the gap on them a little bit. You know, I'll move in, move his direction, start walking his direction, and I'll cow call. If I'm a long ways away, I'll use that deep timber and cow call again real loud, and he'll answer. I get to pinpoint him, and he pinpoints me, and then we just start working our way towards each other, and we meet in the middle, hopefully. Mm-hmm. If he's got a herd, he's probably going to stay where he's at. And so it's all situational. But for me, that's what it is. I generally go out, locate. Once they rip, then we're in business. I'm not going to sit there. It's just me, but I'm not going to likely sit there in glass. Um, mm-hmm. I was on a hunt last year uh, with a friend of mine, and he loves to sit in glass. And it's effective because he'll find a bull that's a big bull before we go into it. A lot of the bulls that I like to hunt are in the super thick junipers or, or cedars, you guys call them. Mm-hmm. They're the bulls that scream. And I've got about 10 seconds when he walks around that tree to make my decision whether I'm going to shoot him or not. Right. And most of my big bulls, almost every one of them, that's the way it was. You know, they just showed up around a tree and I popped them and it was over. Right. And I have let some giants walk because I didn't. Because <laughs> you couldn't, couldn't feel judge them. Yeah. I couldn't feel judge them that fast. They came into 20 yard and then they walked away. You know, I got one in, in mind. I'm thinking of right now. This bull comes in. He comes into 20 yards. I could have shot him. I didn't. I let him walk. And then I started doing the math in my head. It says, well, he had an extra third point that was 20 inches long. Mm. And he had a whole bunch of can openers down the bottom. So this bull had 35 inches of non-typical. And so I said, wait, I need to call him back in. I called him back into 25 yards and he winded, winded me the second time. I sent my father back in there the next year. And he hunted there, I think, for 10 or 12 or 14 days. Never found that bull. Mm. And he was... They were driving out there to go hunt that same spot, getting towards the last day. And he says, man, that's a good bull up on the hill right there. And they slid in there and popped him. And it was the bull I had him chasing. He had changed areas. Mm. And he was 416. I think two years later, he was 416, and he still had all that trash. So, you know, that's the bad part about what I do. But it sure is fun when they come around that tree and they're 25 yards of closing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you just look and you say, you know what? That's a great bull. I don't care what he scores. He's going to get shot. And that that 452 bull you watched me shoot on the San Carlos yeah. uh, on video, I didn't know how that bull was going to score. I didn't know if it was going to score 400. I just knew it was a big, wild, crazy looking bull that would look good on my wall. Right. You know, I mean, honestly, I- would I rather shoot a, a typical 400 or a, a bull that's wild and crazy like that for me? I love, you know, God build them the way you build them. And that bull is unique. So I like it. I've always been a, a guy that doesn't matter. And definitely not an inches guy by any means, unless I'm, Uh you know, with a client that's requiring inches. Otherwise I barely even score them, but I just see something I like. It makes me happy. That's what I'm going for. You know, it's like one of those situations that's always been that way. Well, I think that's a real smart way to go. You know, you know, 
a buddy drew a sheet tag the other day and he's and he's you know he's thinking about numbers am i going to kill 175 california bighorn with this tag i says larry i said you just need to go sheep hunting you need to scout you need to do the best you can find the ram you like and forget about what he scores and that's easy for me to say but if you find a ram that just turns you on an old guy told me one time if there's no doubt it's a, if there's absolutely no doubt it's a trophy, trophy buck, bull, sheep, whatever it is. When there's doubt, then that's, that's when you get ground shrinkage. Right. Yeah, I don't know. You know, and, and we've done it that way before. We said, well, I don't think he's that big. And then you walk up on him. Right. And he is big. But it's always, anyway, it's I always, just, be, it's always good to underestimate <laughs> versus yeah. overestimate him. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Right. Yeah. So, I was going to ask you, actually, I was going to have you on for another podcast, but we kind of been talking about this trophy situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, man, you got an uncanny amount of, what are you at, 12 or 15 bulls over, how many bulls do you have over 400? Nine. Nine. nine okay. Nine with uh, 78 bulls with a bow. Is seven nine of them are yeah, yep, nine cool. of them are over 400. So now, you know, minus the San Carlos, because huh? we know San Carlos, they're, you know, those are, you expect to see that kind of bull there. You well, know, no, no, yeah, you, you, you hope to see that. Well, kind of you know what I'm there, saying? Not, know. not a 450, but you know, the 380s and up, you know. Yeah, that kind yeah, of you, you, yeah. I would expect to see a 380 there for sure. And 400, you hope to see those. Right. But there's a lot of things that come into play there. You know, everybody thinks just because you spent the money you got on the San Carlos, you're going to shoot a 400 bull. No, yeah. No, definitely not. Definitely not. No. I guess my what I was getting at is, I mean, you've shot seventy eight bulls, so like uh-huh. that's a lot of bulls. That's way more than than it is. anybody that I know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and it's like how how do you how do you keep consistently finding bulls of this caliber? You know, because you yeah you have seven. Or nine bulls that are are uh, that are four hundred, but you have quite mm-hmm. a few that are in the th- you know three sixty to to the three you know to to f- three ninety range, right? So three forty to three ninety five, right? Yeah, yeah. But sure, that and those are excellent bulls. Those are bulls that anybody would be tickled pink to shoot. Sure, and especially in places I, like Oregon, like how do you and and I, you told me about your Idaho bull. Like Idaho doesn't typically produce giant bulls i mean there's a shit ton of bulls there but you know exactly. to, find, to find a 380 and, and i think you told me you shot two on the same or like back-to-back days that were of that caliber right well and if you're looking for a story that's where we're going to go with the yeah let's do that on on those bulls and, it, and just you know it, it it's, it's because you get, it's one of those deals that if we're going to talk about that at the end here i want to be able to explain to people you just kind of got to be able to shift gears and change up the way you hunt. You, I'm very stuck in my ways. Mm-hmm. 78 bulls with a bow and arrow, and I've only killed one that I didn't call in. And this one is, this one of the one of those two Idaho bulls was one that I did not call in. And it's, and it's part of this, you know, part of the story. Yeah. Um, but what, how do I keep killing giant bulls like that? I've been fortunate enough to go hunt places that, you know, I've hunted Arizona a lot. Right. I've hunted reservations and people think, oh yeah, well, you're hunting those reservations. It's, 
you know, it's a guaranteed deal. Well, yeah. People also um, think you're about coming to Arizona too. You're going to shoot a, you know, Oh, it good Lord. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And I've hunted Arizona twice on public land. I killed a 413 and I killed a 301. Yeah. So you just never know. I mean, depending on the unit you draw and all you can do is the best you can do for the unit. So I had a Nevada tag last year and I shot a 317 bull in Nevada. I just knew that I had a better chance. I'd been to Idaho once and I saw, I saw good prospects for what, you know, would be, you know, a super good hunt. So I went to Nevada and I was just seeing things were a little tough. I just shot a bull to get the heck out of there. I said, there's a 317 bull. I shot him and I left and it paid off huge because the next day, you know, I shot him that morning. That night I was in Idaho and the next morning uh, I was hunting those other elk. And I can tell you, luck plays a lot into it. I was lucky in Arizona to have that bull walk in the 413 bull. I've been in a huge car wreck on the way down there. I could hardly walk. All I was doing was driving around in the unit. I was in 3C and I was calling from the truck. And if I heard bulls, I was pounding a leave like they were Skittles. <laughs> and I really should have been in the hospital. But I mean, it's an Arizona elk hunt. What, are you crazy? I'm not going to the hospital. Right. So, and we ended up shooting two bulls. We shot a 350 bull. Michael did, and then uh, my bull was 413 gross. And that's why I'm a net uh, a gross guy, not a net guy. Yeah. That that's our that bull gross. <laughs> that that bull grosses 413. He's missing a third point on one side, and he grosses 413. He's got a 42 inch extra point. Mm. But he nets 378. So if I enter, enter him in Pope and Young, it's going to look like I shot a 378 bull. When he, he that doesn't tell the whole story. He really grosses 413. You yeah. Know? Yep. Um, so, I, you know, I just got to say, I've been lucky in Idaho. I found another bull years ago that the bull had a 340 class frame, 330, 340 class frame, mm -hmm. and he probably had. Uh, 70 inches coming off above his second point on his left horn. We found a bull that had four more points that equaled 70 inches. It was like a whole nother beam coming off. Wow. And this thing had stuff going everywhere. I would have shot this for bull first day in Arizona on white mountain or on public land or anything. He was a great bull, you know, and that's luck. You just, you go through enough bulls, Hopefully you get lucky and you find one like that. I, I was going to ask I'm, you, do you find yourself like passing a lot to find that next caliber bull or you just. No, not, not in Idaho. I mean, you know, in Idaho back then we were happy with 306 point, you know, um, right. if you're in Arizona, I would call in eight bulls a day on white mountain. I'd call eight bulls a day in the bow range, passing up bulls from most of them were 300 to the 350 range, maybe mm -hmm. 360, you know, and I pass up bulls every day looking for something that was, you know, in that 370, 380 class, maybe. So it sounds and like you're, most, pl you're playing to the tag, you know, if the tag is in an area that, you know, is known for producing the 400 incher, then you, you'll, you'll pass yeah. bulls up. If not, then it's just luck of the draw of whatever comes in and makes you happy. You're going to shoot. And if yeah, it's a three, I mean, if it's a three eighty, great. If it's a three forty, you know, awesome, whatever. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, we've got one spot in Oregon that we killed over one hundred and twenty five bulls on, 
And the biggest bull that we've ever killed, I killed last year, and it's 40 years of hunting there. I killed a bull last year that grows 340 there. Mm-hmm. And that's over 125 bulls. Right. So they just don't get big. And that bull means as much to me as any 400 bull I've ever killed. I mean, I learned how to elk hunt in that spot. Right. So you just got to do the best that you can do or whatever you're happy with and be happy with that. I mean, hell, I, I went to Idaho a couple of years ago. And I saw a five by six. It was, you know, just a meat bowl that would probably score 220 inches. But, you know, it was one of those deals. It was tough, huh? Things weren't working out great. I had other hunts and I said, hey, man, I love to eat these things. That one there, right there is going to work. Called him in and I shot him. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I still love to eat them. Yeah, exactly. Right. But that, that definitely the best tasting out of all. Nah, I don't know about all game species. Cause I've had some pretty other delicious ones like axis deer. Uh, yeah, but no, I love elk. It's probably my, my, <laughs> you're right though. Axis, axis is excellent. I like yeah, it. Is uh, I'd say my favorite, favorite of all is springbok from Africa. I like, I love springbok. They're really, really tasty. Yeah. I never tried um, black. Bucks. Oh, they're good. Black buck and kidney, yeah. I tried, but never tried a springbok. Yeah. Um, if you could, you want to take us through a detailed account of that uh, Idaho hunt? I, I can for sure. And right. this, what this does is it lets people understand. Look, if I last year I had five elk tags, mm-hmm. I only have so much time in September. So I drew the Idaho super tag. Right. And I had another tag. So I had two tags and I went to the same area for both, for both elk. I left Nevada. And I worked my way towards Idaho and as I was, and I'm headed there to go hunting and I hired a guide and typically I'm really hard to guide. So I don't, <laughs> I, I really don't, I, I got to say, I just don't care for guided hunts because I'm pretty tough to, to guide. Right. If I get a great guide, like I had last year in Idaho, I was hunting with Hobie. He's just awesome. He's, a, he's been at it a long time and Hobie Gardner's a great guy and a great friend. I love him. He's just easy to hunt with, and he's very respectful, as was I. We got in the woods together, and, and it was one of those deals where he respected. He knew I'd hunted enough for elk. He's, he's whatever you want to do. And I'm like, well, no, this is your area, whatever you want to do. But I don't have time to go scout, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm busy farming right to the end. I pack my stuff at the last minute, and then I go hunting. And what I find is what I find when I get there. So I, hi- I hired Hobie. And these guys, I've hunted with Ben before, and I killed a 224 mule deer with Ben years past, and, and I was glad to hunt with Ben. He was a great guy, and had a, we had a great hunt together, and, and we get along great. We give each other shit the whole time we're hunting, and I love it. But Ben had been glossing and scouting, and that first hunt when I went there, we found one bullet was a nice bull and didn't get him killed. Had a couple real close calls, didn't work, went to Nevada, Shot that that bull, and I was on my way back thinking, you know, I'm just going to go back to Idaho and and go with the boys hunt there, and then I'll go to Oregon and just kind of bounce around a little bit. So as I was pulling down here across the line to Idaho, and I don't even know if the guy has time to hunt with me, but I don't care. I know where I need to go now because he's already taken me. Mm-hmm. And if if I'm going hunting with or without this guy, it doesn't matter to me if he's if, he, if he's ready to go or not. I'm just <laughs> headed there. I'm going to go hunting. And this is the way the world works. Hobie calls me and says, where are you at? And says, I'm just coming into Idaho. And I figured, you know, he's a busy guy. I figured there's no way that he's going to be able to take me spur of the moment like this. But 
I'll let him know I'm in the area. And, and then when he gets Ben back, then we'll start hunting together again. And I really like having a guide with me because those guys are, <laughs> they're really, those young guys are nice to pack and help. Yep. So, you know, he says, where are you at, Case? And he said, just coming into Idaho. He says, go straight to the lodge. And I says, why? He says, well, he says, I did a little thinking out of the box. And he says, I found a bull. And he says, I don't even want to say what he scored. He says, well, I know what that means. I said, send me some pictures. And so he sends me pictures. And I says, homie, that bull's 400. And he says, well, I think it is too. And I said, okay, I'm on my way. And so, you know, this is luck. He, you know, he'll tell you. He, he decided to think outside the box. He went and checked a different spot than where we were hunting. And he found this bull. And it wasn't that I was put ahead of any other client. I was in a position where I was available and I was in the area where we could slip out in the morning and go hunt this thing. Mm-hmm. And we went out there the next morning and I'm excited, you know, un- uncertain of what, you know, how, how this is going to go. We really haven't hunted together. You know, Hobie, I've been hunting with Ben, but I hadn't hunted, hunted. I've talked with, for years. I've been talking with Hobie and we get in there and shut the rig off. We walk up over a ridge. We can hear some bulls bugling. You know, Hobie says, there he is right there. I looked and said, I don't think that's him. And he looked a little closer. He said, you're right. That's not him. And, you know, it's just getting light. And it's hard to see. And we could hear some other bulls bugling. And we worked our way up the mountain. And he says, okay. And I'm a little uneasy because I've got a guy that's a guide. And I don't want to screw it up. I mean, this is a 400 bull. Well, he's like, Casey, don't worry about me here. He says, what would you do right now if I wasn't here? I said, I'd sit down right by that rock right there. And I call him into that shoot lane and I'd shoot him. He says, then do it. I said, well, sit down behind that rock. I'll get in front of it. And that's a big deal with hunters, you know? Yep. I, mean, I, I like to sit in front of stuff. I don't like to get behind it because then I, I don't have a shot, you know? So I sit down in front of the rock. He gets behind. I cow call the bull rips. I cow call again. He screams harder. Hit him about a third time. He comes walking through that shoot lane at about 35 yards probably. And I didn't shoot him. It was the wrong bull. And about that time, we hear this horrible fight break out. And I says, Hobie, the bull we want is in a fight right now. And he's breaking his horns up. And it was a big fight, man. It, you could hear these bulls. And you went, after we went over there to where the bulls had been fighting, you could see where they tore the ground up for 100 yards. I mean, they were going up that mountain, just ripping it up. So we slid around. And what we did is we used – we bounced ideas off each other. And I love doing that with a guy – um, experienced or not, and I say, hey, what do you think about this? Because this guy may think about something that I'm not thinking about. I know how I want to do it already, but this guy might have something that I'm missing. So what do you think about this? And, you know, and we're going along and said, hey, Hope, where that bull's located right now, what do you think about slipping over here to this edge on this rim and coming around that way, and then we don't have an opening. It looks like we're going to bottleneck down to an opening. He looked, and he said, you know, you're right. Let's do it. So we worked together and got around there. And Randy Omer, typically, he's, Randy's a good friend of mine. He doesn't call. He, Randy likes to slide in on bulls and shoot them. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is adapting, and I'm not very good at it. And Randy, it was going through my mind with this bull. I said, this bull's screaming. He's screaming. He's letting us know where he's at. We worked in. I was a little, you know, apprehensive. I didn't really want to call. I didn't want to run him off. I didn't want to screw it up. We got in tight and I was within about 80 yards and I'm thinking about, okay, what's the next move? You know, and the bull's up there glunking and 
we hear another bull screaming and this other bull comes in. We've been there for a few minutes. This other bull comes in screaming and bumps him. Mm. And I said, Hobie, here he, I could hear him, you know, unbelievably, I still have great hearing, selective hearing, <laughs> but I have hearing. Can't hear and your wife, this, but you can hear the bull. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Break a you the dishwasher? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. So <laughs> I can hear this thing walking. And I said, Hobie, here he comes. He, this other bull came in and bumped him off and he's headed our way. And he's about 40 yards. And I instantly, before we even done, had done anything, I'm always looking at the situation and I saw the shoot lane before he even showed up or before he even left. I said, well, that's a shoot lane right there. Wind's right. And so I just dropped to my knees, knocked an arrow and I was in that shoot lane. I was looking right at that shoot lane and the bull steps out and he's at 40 yards and Hobie whispers in my ear at Tim and the bull keeps coming. And as he gets down to the shoot lane, I cow call and the bull turns and he starts walking straight at me in the shoot lane at 25 yards, cow call again or whatever and stopped him. And I shot him head on at 25 yards. He went about 60 yards and piled up. Awesome. And that's one of those times where I think about what Randy's doing. It's a great tactic. You're not running the bulls all over the country. If they're those kind of bulls that hook and book, you know, all you have to do is keep your mouth shut and get tight and maybe they'll make a mistake. And it's one of those times that I did that and it worked out for me. So we get that thing. We had a young guy with us. I say we, I didn't have to pack anything. I don't think we, we got him field quartered, got him back to the truck. I got sunburned real bad. It was hot. And when we got back to the house, Ben was there to pick me up. He says, come on, we're going to hunt this other bull. They got a phone call on a different bull. And the sagebrush was only knee high. I mean, it was really short. Mm -hmm. And he says, the bull is above that rim over there. And I said, okay, <laughs> how are we going to get there? Look at the sagebrush. And we figured out where he was at and where we were at. He couldn't see us because of the rim. And we worked as close as we could get. And we started seeing elk trails where they were coming down off this rim and going to fields. And I said, you know, and I said, I know what this means. I said, this guy's going to come off here before dark with these cows and he's going to come through here. I start cow calling and this thing works. These cows are all working across this rim. The spike pole comes across and I'm ripping on this bull and he's screaming and he shows up and it's this big, heavy seven by seven. And they're looking off the rim down there, but they can't see us. And I broke a few sagebrush bushes and put them around me to where I didn't stick out. Mm. And next thing you know, they came down off that rim and they went the wrong way. So I had to spin around the back, back the other direction. And I cow called the herd. Those cows came by me at about 25 yards. And I popped that bull at about 30. And he ran over there and bedded down. It was just before dark. And I gave him a little while. And we went back and got Hobie came back in and he was dead as a wedge when we got there. I made mean, a great shot, but it was one of those deals where he kind of went up over a hill and then I could see him over there bedded down and it was getting dark. And I just, my eyesight's going, I couldn't, I couldn't tell where he was hit. And so I just gave him a little break and we came back and he had been hammered. I, I could have walked right over there, but, but anyway, yeah, 380. So there was awesome. a 405, 405 gross more in the morning and a 380 that night. And the three, 380 that night, his horns, his antlers weigh seven pounds more than the 405 bull. Crazy. So 380 doesn't tell you the whole story on that bull. That bull had Jurassic Park mass through his whole 
Or, you know, I mean, they were just thick. Every point was extremely heavy. So, yeah, that's probably probably my most exciting day of bow hunting right there, I would have to say, for, for out for sure. Awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And, and once again, it was lucky. These guys knew where these bulls were, and, you know, we worked together as a team and, and got it done. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well. I mean, you, a little bit of luck helps with, with a lot of things, oh. but I mean, you can't equate 78 bulls to, to all luck, right? So you, you got well, luck combined with skill and, and experience, you know, that's the recipe yeah. for, that's the recipe for success right there. Absolutely. So, yeah. But no, man, I'll take luck any day. So, yeah. <laughs> right me, now. me too. Yeah. Yeah. I got, a, I got a little lucky on my, on my elk hunt last year. Um, just... It was a kind of a weird. We were actually after another bull, which was quite a bit larger, and he had he had all the cows and stuff. But where I was hunting, I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, if I found something over three hundred, I was going to be shooting no matter what. Uh, sure. And uh, we heard him going off down into the bull that I was chasing originally went over through the saddle, and we were going to go chase him, but then there was this bull piping off down kind of below us in a spring, and yes. I knew he was by himself. Cause he was advertising and I was like, let's go get this bull. Cause he's going to be a lot easier to kill. And, <laughs> and yeah, it didn't take much, man. He heard us coming across. They had that like almost lava rock type gravel yeah. on the, on the elk trail. So it was kind yeah. of noisy no matter what you did coming across there. So we just let out a couple of cow chirps as we were coming across and he just thought it was a bunch of cows and he came up and around and I shot him quartering to like 30 yards and perfect uh, yeah it was it was a good good situation and we weren't Absolutely. we weren't too far from camp at that point either only a couple miles so it was even better <laughs> only a couple miles good lord if i had to pack an elk a couple miles i don't know what happened to me yeah well this where we were hunting and it's all walk-in there is no truck access I or see. vehicle access so a couple of miles was was great. And a couple of days later, we were on a giant bull for my buddy. Uh, uh-huh. It was you know like three sixty five, and that's just a pig for that area. Nice. And uh, yeah, we got the thirty yards, and we were gonna about to make it happen, and the freaking wind switched on us, and the whole herd just blew up and ran. But we were fourteen miles back, <laughs> so I was almost. <laughs> I was almost happy that yeah. we didn't get it. We would have definitely oh, had it. Sure. We would have definitely had to uh, figure out a way to get some horses or something. Cause I, yeah, you'd have gotten horses for sure. Yeah, there's no way. Well, so. the thing I can tell you about those kind of spots uh, yeah. is don't pl- don't plan on seeing me in those spots anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you can have it. It's all it's, you've got it all to yourself. I can't. I can't do it all the time. But you know. Couple of days, a couple of days. I can't do it every single day, but I can do it a couple of days for sure. Right. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. I'm glad. You know, it's nice when a plan comes together. That. <laughs> yeah. That being two miles from there, if that's good enough for the young guys, and you can get it out of there, that's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I don't know. It worked out, <laughs> and it was mostly yeah, down, mostly downhill too. So. Yeah, I like the. 450 yards from a truck or 300 yards from a truck. <laughs> yeah. You know, in Arizona, I've been lucky. My All my bulls here have been 
you know, <laughs> fairly close to the truck where I, or I could get a truck close uh-huh. to where they were at. But anyway, uh, yeah. I, may, I may not have been close to the truck when I shot them, but I could go get the truck and bring it, you know, close to it. Yeah. I, I've gotten lucky, really lucky. Well, you know, and that's the thing, just for the listeners out there, you don't have to be a specimen to shoot out, you no. know, health-wise. You don't. You know, just talk smart. You just do what you can do. And, and you know, it's like with me. I just go at my own pace anymore. I, I You know, I'll get there eventually. And, you know, I say I don't walk a whole bunch. I've been shed hunting on my place here. I've been walking about five miles a day, shed hunting on my place in Eastern Oregon. See, for that's a lot. That's so, yeah, well, my, my body sure tells me it, it's a lot, you know, at the end of the day. But I wake up the next day a little sore. But we go do it again. My dog and I go for a walk. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm not a total wimp yet, but I'm getting there. Uh, it sounds to me you're still far beyond a lot of people that I've hunted with. So, you know, well, and guided. I, guided. I, I'm, I'm trying, but I'm telling you this. I'm going at my own pace. You know, the young guys that would have shed hunted, that would have been in and out of there so fast, the same route that I went, but. I just go slow and get there fast. I, I always go slow. I, I can't. It's not that I couldn't do it with my uh-huh. muscles or my cardiovascular. My feet, uh-huh. my feet are so screwed up. Like I got the worst plantar fasciitis. I got like, like you know, issues with my was, issues with my Achilles and all that stuff like that. So it's like yeah. if I go fast, I'm not going to be able to hunt for the rest of the week. So I just, you know, I could do 12 miles, 14 miles in a day. Yeah. But it's yep. going to be the whole day, and it's going to be a slow, steady pace, and you know. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. And that plantar fasciitis, I had it. I was wearing these slip-on type shoes. I won't mention names, but mm-hmm. they just didn't have any arch support in them. Yeah, and you got. And my foot was up. killing me. Went to the doctor, and you know what I ended up doing to cure it is I put my Kenetrex on, and I wore them every single day. Yep. You know, on the farm, and and I got that arch support back in there. You know, and it, and it went away. Yeah. So I was lucky. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't even have plantar fascia. I have plantar fasciosis, which is when it's gone so chronic oh, and no. so f- far beyond. I actually had surgery yeah. and all that stuff done, and you know, it's manageable. It's manageable. Yeah. Back in the day, there was points back in the day where, you know, I was ten out of ten pain every all day long, every day, and I just you know fight through it. But sure. now, now it's like you know. Uh, typically you know one to two in the pain level and i'll have days oh, where I, days where i get up to five and six you know but not never get back up to that 10 so it's manageable but i i it's smart you know i they don't do things and i'm like you i wear my boots around a lot i have orthotics that i wear and the, all that stuff helped out anyway so but and well and that's what you got to do you got to yeah. just figure out what you can do to manage the pain or you know what it is you've been dealing with it long enough and that's the way my back is from that car wreck. Mm-hmm. I know what it takes to get me into the woods. And I just don't, I just don't push it any harder than that. I know there's bulls back in there at six miles, but I'm not going to go in there to six miles and kill one. Because if I do, I'm going to field quarter and hang him in a tree, come back out of there. And if, you know, I'm going to be sore and tired and then I'm going to have to find somebody with horses. And, right. you know, when I was younger, I, I did it all the time when I was younger, but I just hunt in different places now. I'm going to so, come, I'm going to come home with you, Casey. <laughs> we're gonna go shoot a couple of bulls 400 yards from the truck i like that idea that so. sounds great <laughs> all 
All that right, buddy. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. I want to have you back on to do a storytelling session. And uh, I'll probably, when you come down to visit Randy, maybe I'll uh, yep. I'll meet up with you guys because I love having Randy on. He's a great guy. Uh, oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Hear you two guys ripping off some good uh, good, good <laughs> battle, battle stories there. We'll uh, oh. would love to have you guys. Yeah. So we've had a lot of fun together, Randy and I, through the years. Randy's just a great guy, and, and uh, he's a great elk hunter. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I I love spending time with him. He's just a, just a wonderful person. So awesome. you bet. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. I'm not a, you know, I'm just I'm just a bow hunter. I do it like everybody else. I I say this at the end. I'm not a. I mean, look at my Instagram. I got 5,800 followers. I'm just. I'm just a nobody in the bow hunting world that loves to bow hunt. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you that, having me on. That and make, I hope that, that makes it better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that there's one person that takes something from this and says, Hey, you know, that guy, he was doing this and, and maybe it'll make somebody successful. And I, I just truth, truthfully just wish everybody the best. Hope you all have a wonderful season and uh, take your time. Don't rush it. Yeah. Absolutely. You'll get one. So r- real quick, real quick before I let you go, just to ca- to to speak to what you were just saying, my cousin Anthony equates his last bull to you because listening to what you said, he changed up some of those things that he did, and he was able to to get a bull here in in Arizona. Fantastic! Uh, yeah. So. Well, that's great. So you are you, know, you are doing it, man. <laughs> well, what I mean, honestly. You know, let's hope this doesn't happen. Look, but, but some drunk driver comes across into my lane and smashes me, okay. and I'm gone forever. There goes all my knowledge, and I'd rather that somebody could take a little piece of it. Not saying I know everything by any means. I'm just saying that if there's if there's something that these new bow hunters can get something from, and they can take it and run with it, and it might just add a little something in there, you know, then yep. great. Exactly. Maybe we help somebody. If it, if it, it, all I can say is it works for me, and maybe it'll work for you too. Yeah, I have the same philosophy. You know, that's why yep. that's why I do this. Really, like Absolutely. honestly, I hope I do it, hoping to learn something new that I don't know from people who know. Because you know, uh, uh, what is it? A, a smart man learns from his, his mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I have that philosophy, but it's also so I have a you know account of my experiences and my you know that's why why i did film for so long too like i want my kids to go back and look at that and be able to like you know look there's dad on a sheep hunt yeah and there's you know yeah so well and i would add one thing if anybody wants to really know what a bull should sound like and they're learning how to cow call and they're learning all that stuff a great place to go would be look on power calls Uh, my son is bow Bo Brooks and Bo does little tutorials on TikTok or whatever on how to cow call, how to bugle. And he's very lifelike. He sounds a lot like an elk as good as, as good as they get. So it'd be a great place for somebody uh, that's just learning how to call uh, or somebody that wants to fine tune a little bit. It's, it'd be a great place for people to look. Awesome. Yeah. I think he's, is Bo Doc Brooks 66 or something. I'm not sure. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes too. If anybody's interested in looking into that, that sounds great. And then maybe I could do something. Uh, well, I don't even know what am I, Casey Brooks sixty five or something uh, on Instagram. As a Casey, yeah, yep, yep. Okay, maybe I'll do something 
when I find my elk call and I get some diaphragms, maybe I'll do something on the deep timber sound so that people can understand what they're listening, you know, so they can, they can see what they're hearing uh, and they can understand how it works. Um, I'll try and do that. But like I say, right now, We've got hay laying everywhere on the east side and the west side of, of the mountains here. Yep. Uh, I'm going to be busy for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Go get that. Maybe beyond that, if I do something, I'll, if I do something, I'll call you and I'll let you know. Sounds and good. And then you can put it in your notes. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Sounds good. Well, thank you so very much for having me on, and I, I wish everybody the best. Hope you have the season of your lifetime. Likewise. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.